Creating great content takes time and effort, and this podcast could not exist in the long run without great partners. This season's sponsor is Catalog. Catalog is a work hub we use every day at Modern Leaders, and I also personally recommend it to my network. It's basically your own digital headquarters, helping you and your team making high-quality decisions quickly and asynchronously, reducing the number of meetings and eliminating the chaos of modern-day work. Whether you're the COO, a product manager, or a marketing executive in a remote or hybrid team, you can find what you need, see who's working on what, and get updates on where things are at, without the endless streams of emails and pings coming from everywhere. It's all on Catalog in context. Sign up now at catalogwithaq.com. That's Q-A-T-A-L-O-G.com for a free 30-day trial for you and your team. Welcome to the Remote First Podcast, produced by Modern Leaders. Every other Tuesday, listen in to hear from large or innovative companies enabling an equitable and distributed workplace experience. Hey everyone, today I am with Kapil Kale, formerly COO at Angelus, and he is now the co-founder and COO of Tremendous. We are chatting today about his profitable strategy for designing a workplace optimized for remote work culture. Kapil believes the way to build a solid remote-first work culture is to create a culture that fits the medium rather than forcing the medium to fit the culture. Kapil and his team at Tremendous are demonstrating that success does not have to come at the expense of employees' happiness. A healthy work-life balance is good for the bottom line. Welcome to the show, Kapil. Looking forward to hear everything you have to share. Thank you for having me, and I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Can you please introduce yourself a bit more, you know, give us a bit more information about you, your story, your background, like what's your experience in remote operation? Because you've been working in operation for a while in remotely, right? Yes. So my background in the technology industry in particular dates back to 2010. I started a company. I was based in the Bay Area and I actually built three companies, two of which failed in the early 2010s. Two of them were in person. And then I took a job at AngelList as a software engineer back in 2015. And I was actually, you know, AngelList at that point was an in-person culture. We had an office in New York that was, the company was based in San Francisco, but we had an office in New York that was two people at the time. And I was effectively the third or the fourth person to work out of that office. So that, that was a certain model of remote where I worked in a satellite office. We actually built up the New York office at AngelList. I eventually became uh, the COO of the talent business there. And the New York office also followed this sort of hub and spoke model where we had maybe 40 people in that office and then 20 people remote in various other places. And then we took that company to be fully remote right around the pandemic. And then after that, I actually returned to the company that I co-founded, which was, I think, around nine people and was not really sure what its destiny was going to be at the time, but remote was certainly going to be a part of it. And we scaled that to, it's 55 people now and fully remote with no offices. So in my time in the technology industry, I feel like I have seen a lot of the configurations that companies have operate under, whether they're remote or in office or hybrid. And what kind of comparison can you see already from that the hybrid and then like working for a larger company than having your own company remotely. How did you feel about the different setup? The interesting thing was that remote was pretty challenging to do in 
2016. So when we were part of the satellite office in New York, we used to do our all hands with, I, I don't even remember, I think we were using Google Hangouts at that time. But it wasn't until 2017 or 2018 that we got Zoom rooms hardwired into both offices. And the crazy thing about that era, and, and you think about how far along video conferencing and remote work technology has come, was we had like a project where one of our best operations people was trying to figure out how to set up our offices so that remote collaboration would work. And now in 2022, all of these tools are available and we take them for granted. And in fact, I think for many of us who are even in hybrid setups or have multiple offices or, or companies have multiple offices, we spend most of our collaboration either through email, through Slack, or through video conferencing. So mm -hmm. one thing I've noticed is that the technology that supports it has come a crazy way and that we should expect that to continue over time. Oh, it's crazy. I love that you mentioned this because like when I say to people, you know, in 2016, we had to build everything ourselves when we work in the remote companies or, you know, the companies you see that you know, were proudly remote in 2015, they didn't have all the tools that we have today. They had like Zoom and Slack. Okay. But then like internal communication, like creating your own internal blog wiki, for example, or all the little widgets you have in Slack to make it more bonding in your team, we had to build this all ourselves. I remember like we were building our own products in our company to make culture happen, for example. And today there's no excuse, like all the, there's so many, so many tools. And I love to bring in new startups on the podcast for that, to be able to, to share all the different new startups that we have that are solving this problem. So it's interesting to see that you are also already seeing that you didn't have much. And now we actually, yet yeah, take it for granted that we have all of this. I think for companies who are trying to figure out what kind of culture they want to be, there's a bias towards thinking about the state of affairs in the present day moment. And actually what's happening is you like becoming a remote company or choosing what kind of company you want to be is a long-term decision. And one of the things that gave us confidence when we were making that decision at Tremendous about becoming a fully remote company was we saw some of the downsides of this. I had experienced some of them at AngelList. But if you're talking about how you're going to build your company for the next 10 years, you want to go to where things like you have to assume that these problems are going to get solved in creative ways over time. So for us, it was an easy decision because there were so many advantages to being remote ranging from recruiting to people having time for you know their personal lives and you know the freedom and flexibility it gives but also the downsides of it seemed like there would be a lot of improvements in how we would collaborate together based on the crazy number of people that are building for this use case for a use case of culture for the use case of remote cultures and collaboration and making right. teams work effectively when they aren't in person. So how do you think this is succeeding at the moment? They're getting better. There are certain, there's still problems. And a lot of the problems have to do around this thing of skeuomorphism, where a lot of companies that are right now that are working remotely are just trying to take the things that they do, that they used to do in an in-office culture and put them into a video conference structure. 
And as it turns out, those things don't translate very well. For example, one-on-ones actually work just fine on Zoom. But if you have a multi-person meeting where in person, like, you know, the latency in a meeting is zero, you can interrupt someone and there's like no lag or you can read the room very easily. But on a Zoom meeting with lag, no one can sort of talk in real time to other people. And these meetings are really painful. And you take this, you know, that's like a, a work meeting where maybe a decision is trying to get made. If you think about the social aspects of the in-office happy hour and companies have attempted to turn this into Zoom happy hours, they end up falling flat because only one person can talk at a time and it, it just mm-hmm. doesn't work the way that a normal social gathering would do. You're also still in your living room on your own with a glass of wine or drink while, you know, talking with the group. I feel like, yeah, these these kind of like hangout gathering, you close your laptop, you just come kind of back to what it was like 30 minutes before the call started. It's like the, there's no momentum or ex- excitement, but there's there are ways that we can create. I feel like, I don't know for you, but working in a fully remote team, you do have a lot of connection that you're building with people that the day you actually meet in person, people are actually very close and very like connected with each other. And this is something that is quite unique that people don't necessarily realize that I think there's a lot of connection that can be done remotely. How did you experience that at Tremendous or at Angelist? It was the same strategy at both companies. And Tremendous, we took it even a step further. So when we were remote at Angelist, people did know each other a little bit before, but most of the time you're collaborating with people in a somewhat transactional way when you're working. And the thing that we realized, we try to do the Zoom happy hours, we try to do these forced virtual events, and it, it just they never stuck. And we tried all sorts of variations of them. We tried interview ones and we tried like having people present. But the thing that we've realized, at least at this moment, is there's no good substitute for the in-person time that you spend with your coworkers. And in an in-office setting, on a daily basis, you know, you meet at, you know, grab a coffee, you step out for lunch, and you're just communicating frequently on a casual basis. The strategy that we took at Tremendous was to take a lot of that socialization that would happen and compress it into offsites. And at these mm-hmm. offsites, there's actually very little work expectation for like the two all company offsites that we do. They feel a lot more like summer camp where there's just social activities and hanging out and you know there's some amount of work being done to keep things afloat, you know, keep the site running and keep the business moving forward, but it's not a time for solving big problems, or it's just a time where if you take all those coffee chats that you would be having, if we were all in an office and you compress them into a week, that's what an offsite looks like. And it's really fun. It could be uh, somewhat tiring. I think everyone's excited to get home afterwards. It's important to have two of those a year because otherwise you never get that. I mean, yeah, I mean, I can totally feel that importance of having the in-person gathering it really makes a difference and it's so important also you said not to crowd it too much with the work stuff but really focus more on the connections that makes a lot of sense so if when you said you know earlier you were saying that you know you should actually have a culture that fits the medium what do you mean by that if we are thinking that okay offsite is a way for you to come in person and have like nice hangouts together 
What do you do outside of that when it's remotely? How do you build a creative culture that fits the medium of remote? I think you take all of the aspects of how we work together in person and you have to rethink them from first principles for this new medium of working remotely and ideally asynchronously. So for example, one principle is that meetings when you are in person can be somewhat tiring, but large meetings when you are fully remote are really quite inefficient. They're inefficient and they're emotionally exhausting for most people. So what is the solution to this? Well, the solution that we found is to focus a lot more on asynchronous communication. A lot of meetings tend to be about distributing information. And as it turns out, in the remote first world, we have a lot more ways to distribute information, that especially when it comes from when it's a one-to-many format. So one thing we do is we write a lot of documents at Tremendous. And We have to make sure people are great writers because you will write a lot in an environment like this. Another is that we use Loom for screencasting. We have an internal podcast where we'll actually just record an interview with, sometimes it's me or Nick about just the state of the business, or sometimes it's the two of us doing a sort of fireside chat um, and then share that with the team. But rather than having all these people who are located across seven or eight time zones, interrupt their day and join in for a synchronous meeting, we found that there are other ways to distribute information. And thinking about this design of how we share information across the organization has made the employee experience a tremendous, much more enjoyable than it would be at a typical remote company. What's a typical remote company? If you think about like a larger organization where forced into remote by the pandemic and Mm -hmm. has not sort of fully had a come back to office thing or hasn't figured out where they are. Well, people are just in meetings all day and they find it exhausting and they zone out. Yeah, they kind of recreate the culture of the office to the medium of online, which is Slack for the back and forth and then Zoom for meetings that they have usually. That's like the culture. (laughs) I mean, that's what I see like all the time and people are trying to get out of it, but they don't actually know how to to make it because this, this is all they know. You know, when you change you change your operations completely or you change the way your the foundation of your company, it's very complicated to go through change management. So it's easy to kind of like cling to things that you know and try to make it fit. Is there things that you maybe learned the hard way or a good way of something that does work better that is only meant for remote work. I know you mentioned async, but I'm thinking maybe something else also that you you saw. I'm trying to think about that. One thing I'll say is that not all candidates want to work in a remote environment. And one thing that we implemented at Tremendous was specifically screening people who both wanted to work as screening candidates for wanting to work in a remote environment and having the skills to be able to do it. Wanting to work in a remote environment was pretty easy. We would ask people like, you know, do you actually want to go into an office? And there would be times where I would talk to a candidate who had never worked remotely and they would say, you know, I still want to, you know, I really enjoy this in-person part. And I have had candidates join and then quit because they realized it wasn't for them. And that can be sort of painful. Mm -hmm. Actually, the worst case is they join and they're just sort of miserable and they don't quit or they try to stick it out because there's just a better 
you know, workplace match for, for them somewhere else. So one of the things we do is we really make sure that they want to work in this environment. And we advise people that there's going to be aspects of work that don't translate perfectly of like the day-to-day social interaction. So interestingly enough, another thing we found is that people in their early 20s who are just starting out their careers often aren't ready to want to work remotely yet. Whereas people later in their careers and parents especially are like, please give me a remote work environment so Mm. I can deal with all these other things that are happening in my day. That's interesting. I don't know. I don't know if I, I mean, this is only my own hypothesis of assumptions of who I talk to, but I don't know if I would agree with that because like, I mean, I know that when you're younger, because myself, for example, I I never worked in an office. So I'm now in like early 30s and I started working remotely in my early 20s and then never worked in the office culture, mostly because I wanted to have the freedom to move and do whatever I wanted and not be told you just take these two weeks to go travel. But I don't know, I feel like the, the Gen Z, for example, is getting into the workforce at the moment They've been finishing their degree fully remotely. They didn't have that much in person. There's a part of them that, yeah, they do want to have this in person and have the maybe more of the close mentorship. But at the same time, like it's it's just like university to work remotely. You can really be free of your own schedule, organize your thing how you want. You can travel, you can move location. You know, I feel like there's so much. I don't know if it was me 10 years ago, I would be like, no, I want to. I want to work remotely. I don't, there's no way. But it's interesting. It's a funny place that they are at for them that they just getting out of the pandemic to start working. It's a good observation that for those of them who went through, and you know, I'm a 37, so not in that population. For those of them who went through university fully remotely, this may not be as foreign of an experience. There are two things that I've seen that drive this behavior. The first is around a desire to learn and be sitting next to someone who Mm. really understands either the industry or this craft that they're working on. So for a software engineer, a new one, I would say that the best way to learn is actually to pair a program next to a senior engineer where you can get a lot of back and forth. And the second one is that social circles tend not to be as developed. And in early 20s, at least in my experience, people want to work in person because they make these in-person connections, especially with people of their age. Whereas Mm. later in life, you have the skills and you actually want to be able to do your work, oftentimes more so without interruption. And so there isn't as much of going up this really sharp learning curve. It becomes more like you're able to be very contribution positive and you don't need as much support. And the second piece is At that point, the social circles are a little bit more defined. And especially for people who are married and live with their partners, in that case, you know, you are already getting constant interaction every day. And that is, you know, that that tends to to help. Hey everyone, I'm your host, Daphne Laforet, founder of Modern Leaders, a consulting collective enabling you to walk the talk and scale your company for the remote first future. Our team comes from over a decade of distributed team leadership experience, where we work with organizations from 25 to 5,000 employees. And I am so excited to have put together this podcast to share with you everything that we've been learning over the years. This is the Remote First Podcast.
Yeah, we've seen that actually in the pandemic, like people that would be hired remotely for the first time ever, maybe they relocated and then they end up, they're single, young, ready to work, but they actually got just completely lonely <laughs> for for two years because they would start a new job, not have anybody in their hometown because they just moved there, no family, no partner, be very, very lonely there. Yeah. Uh, I, did, I did see that. I know we, we talked in the past about you're really interested by the topic actually of, of remote hiring and remote work before in 2015, 16, when I was, remote jobs were much more present for people that were mid to senior level in their role. So it was really rare you would see job posts like for a junior role for a fully remote company. It's like what you said, like, you know, some people are just more looking for jobs remotely if they are in mid-level or senior. But I think it's also because of what you said that there is a bit of that difficulty to to coach or mentor junior people. But then the more the world becomes more and more remote, the more juniors are coming in remote companies and need to be mentored. Do you have like ideas around that about like how to better mentor junior folks joining a remote company? It's not easy because one of the best attributes of remote is that it gives you all of this time and ability to focus in an asynchronous environment can be quite enjoyable to work in. You can travel freely. But when it comes to problems at work that require a lot of iteration cycles, like a lot of back and forth, then asynchronous culture can be a little bit challenging because you end up having these, like imagine, you know, you're write a doc, writing a document and then you get comments on it. Well, in person, that iteration cycle can be a five-minute live exercise and you go back and forth 10 times a day. But in a more asynchronous environment, that's it's a challenge. Mm-hmm. Maybe you get two or three of those. And as a result, actually, you know, one of the things we do is uh, this goes back to creating a culture that fits the medium. It's hard to do like, you know, teach someone a completely new set of skills in the same way of like in the mentorship model. And you need to have people who are self-directed as they are learning. And as a result for us, for the most part, we tend to hire folks who are pretty senior. I think, you know, for our engineering team, for example, the average years of experience is probably eight. Mm -hmm. And I don't think we have anyone with less than four or five, which puts almost every engineer we have in the senior category effectively. Do you think it makes remote work more of a perk for that comes with seniority? Like this is what I thought it was before, like before the pandemic, but today do you think it's the same still? It's not, but I, I just don't think that companies have figured out the mentorship model yet. And frankly, I don't have as many great ideas. If I were advising a mm. relative, for example, a cousin who was entering the workforce, I'd say, hey, you should go work at a company in person for, you know, four years or five years, you're going to learn a lot there. And then after that, don't work in person anymore. And it was actually the same, funny enough, for entrepreneurs starting their company. I say, look, you should spend time in San Francisco or a tech hub where you get to meet a lot of people and you build your network and you have access to VCs. And then when you are more experienced, then it's a great idea to build your company remotely. And so it's no longer like that. VCs now are looking at remote companies more seriously now. They do not just invest in San Francisco anymore. Like it's changing. I feel like now I wouldn't, I, I don't know if I would say that to startup founders now, today. 
The reason I bring it up is that there's some advantage when you are just starting out, because as an entrepreneur, you're learning to be around other entrepreneurs. And it doesn't have to be in San Francisco or whatever. But for example, for Y Combinator, which was, you know, tremendous went through Y Combinator back in 2011, there was a big advantage to putting everyone, all 46 companies that Y Combinator had funded into the same room. And the learnings of having that happen, for, it was just three months and then everyone kind of went off to their own place. It was really advantageous. So I think for people who are starting out, there isn't, and it doesn't have to be New York, could be, or San Francisco, it could be Berlin or London or New York or Austin. There are hubs everywhere. I would advise going to a hub when you are learning how to build a company. And then after that, you know, as you're actually building your company, then go wherever you want. Right. I mean, it's interesting to see, like, this is evolving so fast. So it's like, it's yeah. going to see, like, I'm looking forward to see how everything is going to be, like, in five years from now. If we go back to remote hiring. So I know that for you, it's kind of a topic that you really love, that you're interested, mostly because, you know, you are hiring senior developers, uh, probably people that are hard to hire because there's so many so many, so many, so many companies wanting the same talent. How is it for you to be able to hire the top talent, the people that might be getting jobs in much bigger company than you, for example, and remotely? For sure. Well, I think that for Tremendous as a company, hiring top talent was a huge, important driver of the success of the business. We needed people who could build a new complicated payments product and architect it in a way that was scalable, secure, work cross-border. And, and it's not like we had some specific vision in mind. There was going to be constant iteration. It, it was just that the type of person that we needed to build this was going to be hard to find. Like There just aren't that many people out there. And that was part of the reason we wanted to design our company to be remote is that it gave us access to a much bigger talent pool. So if you think about, for example, let's say you're building a company in Austin, Texas, I think there's about 25,000 software engineers in Austin, Texas that you can choose from. And then there's lots of big tech companies that are going after them, but maybe they don't have the skills that you need. Maybe they don't have the software stack experience. So that really cuts it down. And then you might realize that for your tech stack, you only have 1,000 people that you can recruit. Well, going remote to just you know, to the US takes you to 680,000 software engineers, I believe. And then you go worldwide, it's 25 million. And mm. that's a 30x increase in pool size from local to national and then local to global is a thousand X. So suddenly there is a person out there that has the exact skills that you need. They just probably aren't in your city. So yeah. when we realized that, we started recruiting all over. We recruit in North and South America just for time zone convenience. That ended up having a massive impact on our ability to hire qualified engineers. And we have had a ton of success as a result. And that's really exciting to see, you know, how global employment is going to take over the world or like how it's going to create much more opportunities for people to not have to relocate to San Francisco and get a, mass, a, a massive, a tiny flat 
to be able to go get the job of their dream, you know, like they can actually stay in their own country, earn, you know, a good salary and then, you know, be able to, yeah, not have to relocate to do the, their ideal job. It's really awesome that you're creating that as well. It is a fantastic deal for us as a company and for people who are working from wherever they want. And we, we pay very well. We pay pretty much, you know, U.S. salaries are close to it everywhere. And there's still some element of localized compensation. But a lot of the people who join us compared to the local companies that they have been working at in Brazil, for example, mm-hmm. are making twice as much as they did before, sometimes more. Yeah, I mean, that can be a, a really, really big difference. There was another episode we did with Safety Wing where they are hiring all over the world and they have the same salary for every employee, no matter their role, no matter the location. And it grows with the, it's a different type, but we could talk about this as another <laughs> topic, but it's just interesting if some people are interested in the salary component. And so it's a good one. Like, should you pay according to location? And then they are going like a step further with like, we don't even pay depending on the role. It's like everybody together in the boat and then we grow together. It's a very different approach and it's a good salary. Yeah. <laughs> we'll listen to it. One thing that does end up happening when you hire remotely across continents is because this pool size gets so much bigger. Are you familiar with the paradox of choice? Of course, every day. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's like if you have three options, it's pretty easy to pick one. If you have a hundred options, mm-hmm. you take so much longer to decide and you bowl it over and decision making gets challenging. And so we one of the things we had to change to accommodate the fact that there are a lot more candidates, and it's not that they're all qualified, it's that we had to just get more rigorous about what we were looking for and make sure that we were interviewing exactly against those skills. So our recruiting process is a lot more structured than it used to be. You know, four or five years ago, we have an exact skills matrix that we're looking for for someone to be successful. We map all of our interview questions to exactly what that skills matrix is. Like every job that we hire, we have like a sort of mission and what problem this job solves. So it took a while for us to get comfortable with like, you know, especially when you post a job that doesn't have a massive skills requirement. Like imagine it is a product support role mm-hmm. and imagine it's more entry level. You might end up with 5,000 candidates applying. No, exactly. It's always people are like, oh, there's so much, much a big, bigger pool of talent. And I'm like, are you sure that's what you want? I feel like there's only so many, yeah, thing coming in. In the end, it's like the, what is it called again? A- ALS, ATS, the software that. Yeah, applicant tracking systems. Yeah, ATS. So it's like these ones. And then people say, like, how do you like hack these systems to be able to be seen because there's too many applicants? You know, it's going to become even worse now with like 5,000 people joining. Yeah, it's 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 really hard. The funny thing that we have realized is that having experience working at a similar remote first company is actually quite an advantage. So when we look for product support role, for example, it's a big win. If you've worked at a similar company in a product support role, because then we know, well, you're already used to working remotely. You understand how to communicate in a, a synchronous manner. You're going to be a good writer. Mm-hmm. And 
understanding how the operations of remote companies work is actually kind of an advantage. It stands out. You think it still stands out to, uh, I think it's, to have that experience? Yeah, um, especially for us having worked at an analogous company that was you know, remote in a similar role is actually it's at least in my limited experience has been correlated with a quick on-ramp and getting to productivity faster and typically mm. fitting into the culture more quickly. Right. Yeah, yeah I get that. That's awesome. I feel like we, you know, time went by so fast and we covered so many things. We talked about, you know, culture, remote hiring, async communication, operations, like it's been like super insightful. Thank you so much for coming on the show and looking forward to follow what Tremendous is up to. Thanks. Thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning in to Remote First. You can find all links and show notes in the episode description. And if you found value in this show, we'd love your rating on your listening app of choice. Thank you for being here. See you next time.